All right. Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, I would like you to turn with me to page 969. Oh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 8. If I ever am elected president, my platform will be universal paging of the Bible. Universal pagination will be my platform. Vote for me, and all your Bibles will be all the same pages. Acts chapter 8. We've been journeying through the book of Acts. We believe that the word of God is good. If he wrote it, we might ought to see what he's got to say. Um, We don't view this as a backup to our plans, but this is what we do, is the word. It's truth. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and we'll go actually down to the second half of verse 1 since we did the, the other half last week. And if you weren't here, I would encourage you to get the teaching from that. It says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. That day, the day that Stephen had been stoned, had been killed, had been murdered, a great persecution arose against the church. And it says that all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, mourned for him, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. We, we probably should stop there because this is interesting to me. The, what the enemy meant as harmful to the church to crush, to persecute. And that day they began to preach, they began to spread the gospel into all the world. The Lord had told them to go into all the world. He said, I'll go to, you go to Judea, go to Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And you begin to see the pattern here. Now, interesting to me, because if this persecution hadn't have arisen, you wonder if, hey, they're kind of comfortable in Jerusalem. Why would I go anywhere else? I'll just hang out here. But this crushing began, this restriction, if you will, and from that, the gospel began to be spread around the world. And to this day, if you're in China, if you're in Indonesia, you, you hear it in the United States how we talk about, you know, the churches are shrinking and the numbers are down. Not in China, they're not. Not in Pakistan, they're not. Not in the Philippines, they're not. The church, man, we are always at our finest when we are being crushed when we are being persecuted and I say that to say this and you don't have to agree with me on this honestly you don't have to but put it in your pipe smoke it for just a minute and see our tendency right now in our country is the 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 church we're being kind of persecuted we're you know our freedoms are being taken away and, and we see these things and so it makes us number one afraid and number two we think well we probably need to go to Washington and, and rally about it and, and get signs and bullhorns and, and things like that. Not suggesting that that's inherently sinful but I'm saying that maybe maybe if the gospel being taken into the whole world is the goal was the point was our calling maybe it's okay if as a church that some of our freedoms are being restricted and being crushed and being squished I'm not saying it's comfortable. Don't, un- don't misunderstand that. But that apparently wasn't the goal. Our comfort is, is helpful but not required in, in the furthering of, of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus Christ in a world where billions of people still have not heard. And so maybe if, as our, our freedoms are being restricted, we ought to be, number one, doing what Paul said to do, which is praying for our leaders. But then, two, recognizing that maybe what the enemy might be meaning for harm, that God, just like he did 2,000 years ago, 
can use to bring what we've all been praying for anyway, which is revival. We kind of want to have our cake and eat it too, don't we? We pray for revival. Oh, and we also want to be comfortable. But when you see this, you see that it was this discomfort, this crushing, if you will, of the church. Being, I mean, imagine the cops coming and dragging you out of your house and throwing you in jail because you showed up at Conduit this morning. That happens in China right now. The underground church is alive and well. And what's happening is you would think that's make, that makes church growth kind of hard, right? Because here we've got to send out postcards and buy radio ads and all that to make churches grow. Or, well, that's what we think anyway. But in China, with all that crushing going on, the church isn't decreasing, it's increasing. Jesus, I'm sorry, Paul would say that it's in our weakness that he is strong, right? So, I mean, that's just, that's an extra pray about it, think about it, but know that whatever is happening in our own country is, is uncomfortable as it might seem and as frustrating as it might feel, and I get it, it is frustrating, maddening, and yet God can get in the middle of that and the church can explode and can grow, and maybe that's what would bring the revival that we've all prayed for. Verse 4. Now, understand this. I'm going to read, I'm going to do something I normally haven't done. I'm going to read all the way to the end of this chapter, because this is two stories side by side. It's basically the story of the sorcerer and the eunuch, okay? It sounds like a Harry Potter movie, but it's not. Verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip, saw the miraculous signs that he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. And with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics, cripples were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. And verse 9, he says, Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. In verse 10, it says that all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. And they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. In verse 14, it says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They simply had been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me this ability that I might receive the Holy Spirit, or that on everyone I lay my hands on would receive the Holy Spirit. Peter, in one of his textbook Peter moments, he always shot from the hip, said, May your money perish with you, basically saying, You know what? Be damned with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. And then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me that nothing you have said may happen to me. And when they testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. 
And now an angel of the Lord, verse 26, said to Philip, keeping in mind, big revival breaking out, right? You'd think now it's time for Philip to put up the sign. It's Philip Worldwide Evangelistic Ministries International Incorporated. Little sign on the door, get some business cards printed, blowing it up. But no, now he's going to leave town and go to not a big group of folks, one person. God took him out of the scene and then took him down the road to one person. The desert road, go to the south to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth, and his humiliation he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all towns until he reached Caesarea. Father, would you give us enlightenment this morning and as we approach your word that it would be the lamp to our feet that you promised that it could be the light to our path. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus in Matthew 13 tells a story about wheat and tares. He said that the kingdom of God would be like a wheat field where there would be wheat that would grow up and there would be tares, weeds, that would grow up side by side with each other. And he said this in reference. In fact, later he would clarify it and say, that the wheat would be representative of believers that were truly transformed by the word, that the seed had grown in their hearts. And side by side with that would become weeds that would look like wheat, smell like wheat, act like wheat, but it wasn't wheat. And what should we do about that? Now, I have a little bit of expertise in this because I grew up in an agricultural area. In fact, I grew up, by the time I was 10 years old, we were out... Um, we called it roguing beans. I don't know if anybody's from the Midwest. I actually Googled that phrase, and apparently it's nowhere else used anywhere else but in Superior, Nebraska, because I couldn't find it anywhere. I have no idea why we call it that, roguing beans, which basically meant cutting the weeds out of beans. Because when you go to harvest soybeans, so that you vegetarian people can have your soy burgers, um, you had to cut the weeds out of it so that they wouldn't, the, the harvesting equipment wouldn't get messed up in it. And you would do that with Milo and different things. And uh, in fact, I, 
I had a little incident because we used machetes. It's kind of like, you know, Haiti, but little white kids. And, and we had our machetes, and we'd go out and cut weeds out. And, and I, one day, um, my dad had sharpened the blade fresh, and, and, um, and I was uh, wearing shorts. And because, you know, when you're 10 years old, you don't apparently use all of your brain. That's why, kids, that's why you have parents to tell you to put pants on. And so I was cutting the weeds, and I uh, hit a good shot and missed and popped it right on top of my knee. And it was on the end of the blade, which is right by the handle, which never gets any action. And so basically what happened was the skin on your knee is a little tight. I don't know if you're aware of this. And when you cut it down the middle, it will then go bloop and just like a big hole. And so, yeah, enjoy that. I lived through it, okay, so I don't want to hear it. So he, so I go, boom, and it bounces off, and I look, and I'm, I'm 10 years old or 11 maybe, however you're old when you're going from fifth into sixth grade. And, and I remembered thinking a few things. One, that I could see the nerve endings going, ding, ding, which are basically they're sending out like a red alert going, what, what in the world just happened? <laughs> We're not supposed to be able to see air. And, and I'm also thinking this didn't hurt as bad as I thought it would. I'm, I'm 11, I'm like, and so I'm not crying, I'm very pragmatic about the whole thing. And so I go home, and I go to my father, who is, uh, my, I don't even know where my mom was. Uh, if you're young, there used to be a day when we didn't have cell phones, okay? And, and we had little phones that you had to move in a circle. And so I, I, I get home, and my dad is in, asleep because he's working what they called the swing shift all night. And so he wakes up, he's like completely catatonic, and he proceeds to tape it back together with Band-Aids and went back to bed. Now, by this time... My sock is completely red, and I don't even know what to do. I just, I know, and I'm still not crying yet, which, like, this is, I'm, but, so I call, the only person I knew to call, which was my grandma, which was my dad's mom, and boy, was she mad. Um, I don't know if it's possible to be grounded when you were 40, but he was grounded for, like, two weeks. So she came up, and I ended up getting 15 stitches in my knee, and, uh, and to this day, that, that lovely little scar reminds me of, of uh, that wonderful day, but be that as it may, the difference is this. When you have wheat, we have weeds in wheat, it's different than with beans or with milo because there are little rows in beans and milo that you can go down and, but with wheat, it's kind of all piled together. So you can't go in and pull the weeds out because you, you harm the wheat. And so the time that the weeds are taken care of with wheat is at harvest time. And Jesus said, which is, by the way, great news for you and for me. We don't have to worry about whether or not weed, you're a weed or, you know, I'm a weed. I don't have to worry about that because it says that Jesus will take care of that. I don't have to. So it isn't my job to sit around and throw rocks at my brothers and sisters in Christ because this guy's doing this or this guy's doing that or he's a weed or he's a weed. Because Jesus will take care of that. And when I try to take care of that myself, I'm putting myself in the position of Holy Ghost Jr. trying to take care of his job. And quite honestly, we got plenty to do. We don't need to add to it. He gave us plenty of other things to keep busy with. So we don't need to be throwing rocks at each other. Let the Holy Spirit take care of that. Now, that said, he says that there would be wheat and there would be tares. And on that day that he would decide, they would be side by side with each other. That there would be people side by side with believers who think they're believers probably. And I say that because he would say in Matthew 7 that, you know this passage, I think it's 7:13. narrow is the gate and few who find it. And he would go on to say that there will be those who will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We prophesied in your name. We did miracles in your name. And he says that I will say to them on that day, I never even knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, 
It's pretty harsh. To with gnashing of teeth. I've never gnashed. I don't think I've gnashed my teeth, maybe in sleep. But there will be gnashing of teeth, and you'll be cut asunder. I mean, these are the words that Jesus said. But what is intriguing to me about that is that they seem to be, he's indicating they will be surprised. That this didn't end the way they thought it would end. That this wasn't the, the thing that they signed up for. This was not the ending that they thought it was going to have. By the way, did you hear this week there was a flight from, I think it was from London. It was a Hong Kong flight is what it was now that I'm remembering it. Where the pilot had ac- accidentally hit the button that says we're going to crash. 275 people flying over the Atlantic Ocean and overcomes the message of, alert, we're going to crash. You know, whatever the automatic, which I didn't know they had an automatic message that it tells you you're going to crash. Hit the button, 275 people completely panicked. And, and apparently it's right next to another button. I don't know who, that feels like a design flaw, if I'm being honest. But <laughs> that's what, that was the excuse. Well, it's right next to this other button. I'm like, well, seriously? Should there not be like a code or, or the are you sure button? You know, that, you know. <laughs> but... But that flight was, was about to not end the way that they thought it was going to end, right? There's not a single person that's been in a plane crash that that was what they thought was going to happen, right? That was a surprise to them. Jesus is indicating that this is going to be a surprise to some people. And if you're, if, it could give you some, some pause. It could cause some chills to go down your spine. Because there are people that are, statistically speaking, maybe even here today, who have thought they are a believer, thought that they were a Christian, and are going to be quite surprised by the answer. And I have great news for you. You don't have to be surprised. And in this story, I believe that God, who is merciful, who is kind, and by the way, really smart, wrote the Bible. He gave us a picture in this story. It's why I wanted to read it front to back. Because we get two guys side by side who both had an encounter with the Lord, who both heard the gospel, who both responded to the gospel. And one of them walked away bitter and captive to sin. The other walked away rejoicing. Side by side, two stories. And I believe that God did that because he knows that you and I, we're picture people. We think in stories, we think in pictures. And so by giving us these stories, it allows us to look at them, to chew on them, to meditate on them, and maybe see if we resonate with one more than the other. And so if you're a note taker today, it might be helpful for you if you were to take your little piece of paper or your iPad and on the left-hand side of the top of the piece of paper put Simon the Sorcerer and on the right hand put Ethiopian eunuch and then maybe a little line down the middle because we're going to juxtapose these two guys just for a few minutes and see the difference in why one of them walked away full of, both had the same opportunity, both encountered the same gospel, the same God. One walked away bitter, captive to sin. The other walked away rejoicing. How is it possible? What, what was the difference between the two? So it's the, it's the tale of the sorcerer and the eunuch, okay? You feeling me on this? The sorcerer, and by the way, what a great day to be talking about a eunuch when we have these anatomically correct artwork in the hallway. Thank you to Mrs. Henderson for providing these for us today. You're welcome. Simon the sorcerer was a guy that had a great name, it says. It says that he was known as the great one. By the way, if you want to know, like, you know those bookstore things in the Bible, or the Bible things, you go to the bookstore, and what does your name mean, and so something nice that your grandma buys for you, you know, and you put a little plaque on the wall. Darren means, and I, I swear to you that someone's just making this stuff up. I, I know it is, because it's, 
But someone somewhere along the way decided that the name Darren, at least let me phrase it, I used to think they were making this up, and then they told me this. Mine shows up from my grandma, and it says, Darren, great one. Hmm? That dog will hunt, you know what I'm saying? But so, and that's why I think somebody's making it up, because nobody's name, like Simon actually means worm, okay? We know that because Jesus would change Peter's name. Peter's name was Simon. He changed it to Peter because it meant rock, but his name was worm, okay? You don't ever see anybody coming back from the Bible bookstore with their, you know, Simon with the name Worm by it, right? Fish bait. Simon, though, whose name meant Worm, made his name into the Great One. And he did it by tricks. He was a sorcerer. He was Chris Angel. Mind freak. You know what I mean? And he had people following him. And, and this, was a, this was an enterprise. This was a business that this guy was participating in. So when you think about him, he had this... He knew what his name meant. He had to have, because in that day it was very I mean, central to when you were named. It actually meant something. And he was trying to make a name for himself, and he made it into the great one, the great power. And then you got the Ethiopian eunuch. And his name is, see if you can find it in there. It's not even in there. We don't even know his name. It wasn't even recorded. He was known as the eunuch. What an awful name to be known as, right? For all of history to be recorded, I am the eunuch guy. The Ethiopian eunuch. It would be like the equivalent, we'll edit this out later. It's like the equivalent of being known as the Tennessean vasectomized. That's that's what he's known. I mean, I know, I'm trying to make a point that this is, yeah, I just said that out loud. But, but, I mean, it's funny and weird, but that's what it is. We're all sitting around here acting like it isn't calling him a eunuch. Like this guy... That's what he was known as. And I, I make that point because this guy was the bottom of the bowl, okay? As far as in Jewish culture, he was looked down on. A guy like Peter, I mean, this guy wasn't even allowed to go into the temple because his body had been mutilated. Now, keeping in mind, that was what he was known as, but what was he really? He was the keeper of money. He actually was an important figure. This guy was making financial decisions with the queen of Ethiopia, which by the way, history buffs, that was one of the reasons when someone was, that was done to their body, it was because they, if they were gonna have close contact to a female dignitary, that they thought if they did that to them, that they would be safe. So this guy had been mutilated to the point where he wasn't even allowed to go into the temple. He would have had to have sat on the outside looking in. So you've got Simon the sorcerer, who's this great Chris Angel mind freak guy, known and rich and successful and popular. And then you got the Ethiopian eunuch who would have been looked down upon, who would have been important but yet didn't think of himself in that way, so much so that the Bible, again, if every jot and every tittle in the Bible is written by God, his name was left out for a reason, and I believe it was a lesson for you and for me, that here was a guy that came not full of pride, not full of arrogance, but humble and broken and searching. Two juxtapositions. He had, so if, if you're writing it down, Simon's view of himself was wrong. The Ethiopian eunuch probably had a really accurate view of who he was. Simon's view of supernatural power was wrong. He was chasing the signs and the wonders. It actually says that he was astonished by this stuff. And think about it. Of course he was. He's like the trick guy. It'd be like Chris Angel going, wait, how'd you do that, David Blaine? That, that's awesome. I mean, in his mind, it was sort of that's what he had relegated it to. This is awesome. It says that he was baptized and believed, but then he 
followed this guy around astonished by the signs and the wonders. He was seeking signs and wonders. And anytime you're in a position where you are chasing signs and wonders and the miracles and the ooey-gooey and the ee, you've got the order backwards. It's reversed. Jesus says that you'll go into all the world and these signs will follow those that believe. He did not say, you go into all the world following signs and wonders. You've got the order backwards. And so if you're chasing that, you've got the order backwards. And that's what happened with Simon. He was not buying into the gospel. He was buying into the flash and the chasing the signs and the wonders, seeking that. The eunuch, he was seeking the scriptures. You can see him in there. He is searching the scriptures. He's got Isaiah open. The Holy Spirit, just like he does with all of us, is tapping him on the shoulder and his response was to the scriptures, searching for the Lord in the scriptures. This is imperative. This Bible, it's why we go through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Because it is God's breathed life into us. It's not a book. It's not even a collection of books. It's a supernatural communication from God. He was searching the scriptures. And when, by the way, the sign, I mean, keeping in mind, he saw a sign and a wonder, right? He saw Philip, boom, like, go Chris Angel on the whole thing and disappear. And he didn't go looking for Philip trying to follow the sign and the wonder. It says he went on his way rejoicing. That should be our response when we see a miracle, when we see a sign and a wonder, is to go on our way rejoicing. Not trying to chase it to the next convention center or to the next stop on the tour, but to go on our way rejoicing. He had a wrong view of the power. He had a wrong view of the Spirit. Simon saw the Spirit happening, this free gift of God, and he said, man, I'd like a piece of that action, and he wanted to buy it. Because think of what it could do for his life. I don't know if you know this or not. I know a couple guys that are illusionists, and you, in that culture, they actually can buy illusions from each other. If, if they see something, that they, there's like a, a market for that. And so he was buying this because think how much money he could make on this one. Especially now that he's got a whole group of people that bought into this, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And now he's thinking, if I do this, I can make so much more money. This was an investment. And Peter said to him, your money perish with you. L quite literally, be damned. Interesting to me because to this day, that is a tactic of the enemy in our world that we could buy what the Holy Spirit has given to us freely. There's a doctrine out there that suggests that if I have a need, that if I, quote, sow my seed, it's also helpful that it rhymes, by the way, especially when it's on TV. If it rhymes, it helps a lot. Sow your seed and then you'll get your need. So if you're sick, if I sow my seed, which is give my money to this guy, then God will heal me. God will give me money. God will provide, and I can specifically target that to get something in exchange for that. And, and some of you are looking at me like I'm from Neptune. It's happening. And some of you are looking at me like, wow, that's, I've done that before. I've got great news for you. I want to bring freedom to you today. It's bogus. Because when you give money to something and expect to get something back that isn't a gift that's a transaction you are buying a miracle and it is bogus that is a free gift of God in fact this the scripture in fact go, you know go with me there just so you know I'm not making this up because it's called seed faith this idea this concept that was cooked up and it says that if I sow seeds I can get to meet my needs again it rhymes so it's helpful 
You know that. If you're, if you're new to the faith and you want to get rich in Jesus, if you make up something that rhymes and put it on a bumper sticker, it's awesome. People love that. But this is where it came from. In uh, 2 Corinthians 9, this is where this comes from. And I, I want to go here just really quickly because I really want you to hear this because I think it can help some of us. I know it gave me freedom when I figured this out. Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthians and he's talking about giving a financial donation that was actually being distributed to the Jews in Jerusalem who were poor. Interesting because these were the same people that Paul previously had murdered, had drug off from house to house, had put in jail. He had a real heart for these people. So he was taking up a collection for them. And in verse 10 it says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply as an increase in the store of your seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now that is the scripture that was used to say that if I send in my money, then my harvest will be, I can get uh, healed, or I can get more money, and, and those things. And, and that's not what it says. It says that he will provide seed. So in other words, what is the seed in this equation? It's money. Okay, there's no question. I see where they're getting that. But the harvest, okay, when I plant apple seeds, I don't go out and go get more apple seeds. I go out and get apples. The harvest, now inside of that will contain more seed, right? you understand? But that wasn't the point, wasn't to get that. It was that when I'm doing this, and so when I'm planting these seeds, my harvest, it says in verse 10, will be righteousness. And it makes sense that when money, which has such a stronghold on all of us and all of our lives, that when I plant that, when I give that away, when I let loose of this thing that could hold me hostage, that my harvest would then be righteousness, and it says that you'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God will give you financial things in your life not so that we can just sit back and enjoy fat cat style but so that we can then give more away. As a little church, we've seen it happen. We were so faithful in the early days as a Bible study to give way sacrificially. And we gave little bits here and little bits there, and next thing you know, God gave more and more. Not so that we could grow and blow up and have a huge thing, but so that we could give more away. Because there's a giant world that needs us to, to read that passage and to understand that as we trust God, I mean, if you're five years old and in Haiti, man, you're kind of grateful for what we've done here. But it's God that it says, and that's exactly what happens, that they will result in thanksgiving to God. So that's free, and I... I I just wanted you to chew on it because it is something that can happen in our world that we can get so obsessed with the needs in our own life that we get caught up in this idea that I can then buy a miracle, that I can send this money in and give it to this guy or this lady and that I'll get a miracle. And when it doesn't happen, it hurts us and it hurts our heart. And it's because God never promised that to begin with. Do you understand? Meanwhile, back in the book of Acts. That was what Simon was trying to do, to buy the Holy Spirit, to make an investment so he could turn it around and make some money on it. The Ethiopian eunuch who was in charge of all the money of Queen of you know, Candace, he had cash. It didn't even get brought up. Didn't even talk about money with it. You see the difference in the juxtaposition. And then finally, and then we'll move on. There's, we could, by the way, go on for a long time when you look at the differences between these guys. But the last difference that I want to bring up to you today is that Simon had this view of sin in his own life that was incorrect. And he said that when, when Peter said, Here, here's what's going to happen to you. Your money perish with you. And Simon said, pray to God for me. Okay, again, it's, I'm not going to pray. You pray for me 
Not that my sins might be forgiven, but that these consequences won't come on me. He wasn't acknowledging or even maybe aware of the, his own sin in his own heart. All he wanted to do was, I don't want that to happen. What if that whole thing about hellfire and brimstone? I don't want any of that. And how many of us, when we first got saved, that was our ticket, right? I don't want to go to hell. And what I've been sold from the altar call with the guy playing the keyboard in 1988, Yamaha DX7, Rhodes patch, was all you got to do is this. And it was like an infomercial. It was like that dude, Billy Blake. What was the dude that just died? At Billy Mays. All you got to do. <laughs> I was like, that's it. And I don't have to go to hell? Done. Sign me up. And then I can get on with my life. And, and so many of us, that was our first foray into the faith. Was, well, that's all I got to do. Done. Sign me up. Because burning, that's, that's no good. Nobody wins when that happens. And if all I got to do is that, done. Sign me up. And that was kind of the approach that Simon was taking this. I don't want to go to hell, and I don't blame him. But that was, it wasn't about him acknowledging the sin in his heart. It was about him trying to avoid the consequences. So he could keep sinning, keep going down the path he was on, and avoid the consequences of it. The Ethiopian eunuch, man, he's like looking at this, and he is, the gospel is being presented to him through the word. And his response is, they're going by water. And he says, there's water right there. Why should I not be baptized right now? By the way, in a couple of weeks, probably three weeks, we're going to be baptizing here. And, I, you know, the, the people over the years, you hear, well, should I be baptized? Am I going to be baptized to get to heaven? Why should I be baptized? I think that you're asking the wrong question. Our buddy, the eunuch, says, why not be baptized right now? And if you haven't been, let us know. Get, uh, contact Jeremy and let us know. But we're going to be baptizing. And fathers, uh, if, if your kids want to be baptized, I would encourage you to consider baptizing them yourself. I want, I, I want to encourage that and allow that. If you want to do that, um, I'm going to be baptizing my daughters um, and encourage you to think about the same. And if not, I'd be glad to do that for you, but just think about it and pray about it. Um, we're going to be doing that in a couple weeks. Why not be baptized, he said, right now? His view of sin was, dude, I am a sinful man. I need to bury my will, bury my desires, bury my agenda in baptism. This outward sign of an inward thing that was changing in his heart. Simon doesn't want anything to do with the consequences, wants to keep down the sin. With that, you got the eunuch who's saying, I don't want any part of it. I'm, I'm laying down my will. And again, we could go on and on, and you're saying, Darren, please don't. The differences between these guys. But the bottom line is this. We see a guy in Simon who was signing up not to make God his agenda, that my agenda is now submitted to God, that whatever my stuff was, I'm bearing it and laying it behind me, and I am now adapting to what God is doing in my life. It was the other way around. It was like, I want God to be a part of my agenda, my career, my deal. I can make more money on him. I can be more famous and more successful with what God is doing in my life. Or you've got the eunuch who says, the scriptures are clear. I'm clearly, I need a savior in my life. I, I, my name isn't even important. The gospel is important in my life. And my question to you this morning is, who do you resonate with? Who, who, which camp, when you're looking at these side by side, which one do you feel like fits you the most? Peter, who said to the, to the sorcerer, said, your money perish with you, would later write in a letter, 1 Peter 
3, he said, make, make, 1 Peter 1, make your election sure. He said to them, make sure that you know that your relationship with God, that you are a believer, that you don't have to show up on that day before standing before the Lord and being completely surprised and going, I had no idea. I am so monumentally, eternally hosed right now, and I didn't even know. Make your election sure. Romans 8 would tell us that the Spirit of God connects with our spirit, letting us know that we are sons of God, that our spirit would connect with His Spirit, that we would know that we are sons of God. And my question to you this morning is how does it feel? Is it fuzzy or is it clear? Don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that if you're battling with a sin or struggling with something in your life, what what does your spirit feel right now? Or look at the own pattern of your life. You see, Jesus would say in Matthew 7 later, that don't if you've prophesied and you've done all those things that quite honestly look like really good on a Christian's resume. You know, I mean, especially if you want to be on TV, if you can cast out demons and do miracles and prophesy. That looks really good on your resume. And I, don't get me, I, I know sometimes I joke, but I, I, I'm not belittling that. Again, go with me to Haiti, go to Indonesia. Go, you'll know that there's no question as to whether or not that stuff is legit and for today. I'm not suggesting that. What I'm suggesting is if that's your goal and that's what you're chasing, you might have gotten it backwards. Because he also would then say, he, he talks about another conversation that'll happen standing before him. He talks about a conversation where he said, did you feed me? Did you clothe me? Did you visit me when I was in prison? For me, three years ago, five years ago maybe now, and I'm looking at that scripture going, whole crud. I don't even know a widow. I don't even know if I know anybody that knows anybody. You know what I mean? I just, it was like, it was so alarming to me because I'm looking at this list of questions and realizing that my life didn't match up to that, that I'd been so busy doing this other stuff I'm not even 100% sure I was working for the company. Like that episode of Seinfeld where Kramer was working for the company, but he really wasn't, and, and he got fired. He says, but I don't even really work here. And the boss said, I know, that's what makes this so hard. <laughs> You're over here doing all this work that, is, you know, that isn't even what he asked us to focus on. It's in there, but it's, we're focusing on this thing. And he's like, I got all these other priorities of feeding and clothing and serving and And you notice that he didn't say in Matthew 7, they'll say to me on that day, but God, I fed the hungry, I clothed the naked, I visited those that were in prison. He didn't say to them, depart from me. And here's why I think. He says, you will do the will of my Father. If you are changed, read it there. It's in Matthew 7, talking about those that do the will of my Father. And you might be thinking, Darren, it sounds like you're talking about works that get us into heaven. It sounds like you're saying that you can earn your way into this thing. And if that is what you think, if you don't hear anything else I said this morning, don't go out of here saying that, tweeting about it, because <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. You get to James chapter 2, and he, tarts, he says it's faith and works. And so this argument has erupted over the generations. Is it faith or is it works? Is it faith or is it works? And I'm saying you're asking the wrong question, because it's not faith or works. It's faith that works. In other words, if, the, if, if God has literally done a work in your soul and in your spirit, changing you to what Paul says is a new creation, a new creature, that the old things are passed away, 
the things, you're going to live life differently. You're going to experience things differently. Not that you're not going to sin. Not that you're not going to struggle. His grace is good enough, and it's forgiving enough. But your life is different. I was having a conversation this week with a guy. I was telling him about what we're doing in Haiti and Africa. And, and I get kind of passionate and excited. And, and he was kind of an older guy, and he's like, well, I don't know where I'm from. They tell you to clean up your own backyard before you go somewhere else. And a guy that's a believer sits in the front row at church. And that's his attitude. It was like really dismissive of, of this work that we're doing. And I wonder, and the good news is I don't have to. I mean, it's probably a sin for me to even wonder. Wheat or tear? I don't have to worry because, again, Jesus takes care of that. And I pray that he, that's not his story. I pray that his story is that he was just, you know, being a good redneck. But do you know what I'm saying? Like, we can get all excited and bothered about these things that, that seem important and seem central, but the will of my Father, if we're wondering what it is, presenting the gospel, taking it into all the nations. When we take this food to these kids, when we're uh, bringing love to people that we're serving, we're doing it wrapped up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not a relief organization. But let me tell you what, it's a whole lot easier to tell a kid about Jesus if he's not starving because then he can hear you. And you're thinking, man, Darren, this is really heavy, and I know. And I know if you've been around a while, you're like, this is a little different from what we've done before. But what could be more important than for you today to walk out of here with your salvation, your relationship with God 100% sure in your own heart and your own mind? And if you're here this morning and you're, it's, not, it's not gelling with me, like I don't, my spirit is kind of fuzzy, congratulations, this is a great day for you. Forget about the game, forget about the gardening, forget about getting to Golden Corral. And make today your day, to be sure. You don't have to come down here to the front. We're not going to play the keyboard and tell you to bow your head and close your eyes. Right where you are. Make sure that your election is sure. If you want me to pray with you, absolutely. I'll be standing right there and I'd be more than happy to do so. But this is you and God. I don't need you to formulate a prayer that I give to you and you recite. This is your prayer to your God. Because someday, you will stand before him just like I will. And when he says, did you feed me? Did you clothe me? Did you visit me? You want to be sure. And you can be. His grace is enough for your sins, for my sins. Just is. He's that good. He's that awesome. And he's awesome enough to record this in the book of Acts chapter 8 so we could see side by side. Do you want to walk away simony? That you just signed up for the ride because you wanted your life to be better or just like you're a Republican or a Democrat, I'm just checking something on a card. I mean, I promise you, if we were to do a survey in Williamson County or greater Davidson County, how many of you are Christians? It'd probably be like 80% because it's just something we check on a card. It was never meant to be that. Jesus said, follow me. It denoted that he was going somewhere. And maybe for the last 15 years, you've just been sitting in and punching your clock and being a Christian just like you're a, a registered voter. And I would encourage you this morning to let the Spirit work in your heart. Let the Spirit move and speak to you. And don't leave here today in that same way, knowing that your life is different. And I got to tell you, I've been doing this for a long time. These last few years, when we finally clicked into it, I've never felt more fulfilled and more at peace and more passionate and more energized about what God is doing in me than when I connected the dots 
that when my life became his, that I submitted my will to his, my agenda to his, he was my designer. He knows how I was supposed to be. He knows what I'm supposed to do, how I am best. So when he is saying, hey, Darren, great idea, quit your company. That's a great idea. Now, that's the dumbest thing I've ever done on the surface, but because God wired me to do it, God inserted that into my instructions in my owner's manual, if you will. It's the, it's the smartest thing we've ever done. It's the greatest thing we've ever done. Not that we haven't had attacks, not that we haven't had battles, but man, I, I sleep good right now. And Shannon, I'll tell you, for the last few years of the business, I was awake a lot at night. I just sit awake like, oh, I got to get that date filter. Oh, this, I was, ah. But now I'm sleeping sound because I feel like we're doing what God has wired us to do, and you can have that same peace too. We're going to worship for just a little bit longer. And my encouragement to you this morning is to know that, yeah, his grace is enough. It is good enough for your deal, for my deal. And I can't think of a more important question than you would ask yourself this morning than, is my, as Peter would say, is my salvation, is my election sure? And if you don't know, pray right where you are. Repent. Cry out to God where you are. And great news, amazing news, he'll hear you. He'll respond to you, and your life will be forever different. And you can join us on this crazy journey we call conduit, if this is where God is calling you to, to see that God really does change us from the inside out and call us to this crazy life of, wild. again, it's not always comfortable, but man, it's always great. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that your spirit this morning would speak to each and every single one of us. Remind us that this is not a game that we play. This is not a thing that we do on Sundays. That you are Lord, boss, king, daddy. And Lord, if I fail, if my brothers and sisters fail, may my heart be to, Lord, change me, to work in me, to be my authority, that I will respond to you, to what you're doing in me. Change our hearts this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.